Good morning. My name is Rob Jacobson, if we haven't met before, and hi there. Normally that little video happens so that I have time to get up here, and then I forgot something. So it's sort of been one of those mornings, but it's December. It doesn't look like it outside, but I do believe this is the most wonderful time of the year. Anybody else with me? Maybe? Uh, I see a few naysayers. Uh, I, th I thought about this, like, why do some people think it's not the most wonderful time of the year? Is it because of all there is to buy, or all there is to do, or my favorite, all there is to eat? Yeah? You know? Because when you open up your wallet for the 18th time at a store and don't have the right amount, or when you see this smorgasbord that's sitting out and people are like, oh, you just got to go back for more. And so this ever-expanding waistline and the ever-shrinking wallet or just the packed schedule that makes everyone super stressed. Sometimes it's not the most wonderful time of the year. But I want us to hear something that was said on that first Christmas night. It was when these shepherds were out in a field and they were tending their flocks, they were doing their ordinary thing. So whatever the equivalent of that ordinary watching the sheep at night would be for you. And suddenly, it said that an angel of the Lord appeared around them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people today in the city of David a Savior has been born, and he is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared in heaven with the angel. And they were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now, men here certainly includes women. So sometimes we do this uh, all play where the sounds from the symphony, all of you, is more full than the sounds of the solo. So this would be one of those times. So what does it feel like to have the favor of God rest on you? Sunshine. There's more. Ooh, a warm hug where you don't have to pat out. What else? Heavy. Want to say more? Hmm. Hmm. You have a responsibility to whom much is given, much is required. What else? Humbling. Love, safety, comfort, peaceful, joy, more, I like those. I certainly think as I thought about this, what does it mean to have the favor of God rest on you? I had this sense of this peace that, that went past understanding, that flowed all through me, that was way more than just remaining calm. But this sense that peace could flow 
in me, through me, and then actually out to where I would be peace to other people. And it's a peace I desperately, desperately want. But if I'm honest, I know I cannot do it in my own. On my own or in my own strength. How do we get it? We've been looking at what it means to live uncommon, to live this bold faith with this radical trust in ways that people actually can see our faith, this thing that is, is actually not seeable. And we've discovered that uncommon love means to offer our first and our best to God. And even if we don't get it back, it means that God will use that and the world will be blessed with that. We talked about how uncommon decisions involve risk and they involve us leaving places of bondage or even places of comfort so that we can go into the places where God wants us to change, to grow, and to be transformed. We've discussed how the heroes in God's story were not perfect, but they kept listening to God and they responded by faith through actions that people could see when God revealed something to them. And last week, we talked about how uncommon people keep enduring. Uh, this, they see hardship as part of the process of God refining their character and who he sees them to already be in Christ by faith. It's not actually fun, but these people can look at God's, at, look at Christ as this perfect example of someone who suffered and yet suffered for something greater, to restore peace with God and the whole world. And so today we conclude this Uncommon series and begin Advent, the season of anticipating Christ by looking at this last ingredient of what I think an uncommon life includes. So we've been in Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12, and this reading starts in Hebrews 12, Verse 14, I think it's on the screen, but if you have a Bible, uh, you can follow along in it. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy, because without holiness, no one can see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as uh, sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son afterwards as you know when he wanted to inherit this blessing he was rejected even though he sought the blessing with tears he could not change what he had done it's god's word and it's good for us who have ears to hear it. So how do we hear this? Because as I first read this and studied this, I'm like, what? I mean, think about this. Peace, holiness, bitterness, sexual immorality, and a guy named Esau. A really old place in the Bible. Like, how in the world do these fit together? And yet, there is something, the writer is smart and inspired by God, there is something that was going on in the lives of the Hebrew believers, the people that this letter was written to, that made the writer write this. 
Now, scholars think that the Hebrew believers, the people that this was written to, were considering compromising their faith so they could get relief from the persecution they were facing. That if I could just let my faith slide a little, this won't be so hard. Now, maybe you haven't endured persecution for your faith. In fact, maybe you're even contemplating faith right now. You're not quite sure if this whole God in Christ coming to earth is really true. But if you are even contemplating that and thinking that if I believe this, I know things in my life will have to change, then you can enter this story because that's what persecution is a little bit like. If you're someone who has tried to boldly follow Jesus, to put others' needs before your own, if you're someone who's given more than 10% of your income to the church and to the poor, if you're someone who has sacrificed your time to serve Christ and serve those in need, if you're someone who shared your faith joyfully and freely, if you're someone who's prayed for someone right after they've asked if you could pray for them, like right there and they got super uncomfortable, if you're someone who invites your small group of believers to care for you and maybe not your unbelieving neighbors or relatives, then I think you understand what it means just a little to be persecuted. Because if you do any of those things, I can guarantee that you will have someone say, whoa, you just need to relax. Like you need to compromise just a little bit. Everything in moderation, right? None of this being radical for Jesus. Just relax. The world truly doesn't need people who believe in Jesus to relax. The world needs restoration. They need healing. They need hope. They need peace. They need wholeness. That's what restoration means. That's what we need. We need people in this world who recognize that they have been blessed by God, not just to be blessed by God, but to be a blessing to others. See, I think this last ingredient of an uncommon life is a true uncommon community. Now, oh, wow, we need others. Okay. Actually, not just that. Because community is this super overused word, so how do you know if the community you have is the kind of community that you really need? And I think this writer in Hebrews shares some of the actions of an uncommon community. The writer says to make every effort to live in peace with everyone, like all people, See, all through the Bible, God charges humanity to look out for the well-being of others, to see to the peace of others. It starts in the Garden of Eden. It starts with the first man and the first woman. They have two kids. They end up being brothers, and they act like brothers. Instead of seeing to the well-being of each other, encouraging each other, doing a little bit of uh, good competition, they get jealous of each other, and instead of the older one protecting and caring for the other, he kills his brother. And we've been trying to kill our brothers and sisters ever since. It doesn't matter if they have the same last name as us. Our fellow humans 
are our brothers and sisters. And we've been getting it wrong for a long, long time. And Jesus, he looked out for the well-being of everyone. Not just the people that were like him, but the people that no one else wanted to see. It didn't mean he always kept the peace. He actually just made a way for peace. So another one of these all plays I want to hear from you. When is it hard for you to live at peace with others? When is it hard to live at peace with other people? Football game. Like when your team's losing or just in general? In general. Okay. All right. What, when else? Ooh, those I heard too. One, when you're driving. We'll have time of confession in the back booth later. Uh, and I also heard when you see someone else's unethical behavior. Hard to live at peace in those situations. What else? When, is that, when else is it hard for you to live at peace with others? Just made it real. And uh, for the sake of those that are listening online, we will not say that person's name. Mark. Uh, when your house is filled with your spouse's family. Any other times it's hard for you to live at peace with people? When you're hungry, thank you. Yes, amen, sister. And I'm a little hangry. Love that word. Ooh, when you're resentful. You get the segue award. Resentful, because most people don't just get resentful. First, you have an injustice happen to you, or a loss, or an expectation that's not met, even if it's your own expectation. And so you're upset about that. And instead of doing something with that anger, you hold it. And the anger becomes bitterness. And the bitterness becomes resentment. And the resentment becomes hatred. That's when it's hard to live at peace with people. I get weary. Like, I get tired during this season. There's all these things that I think I have to do, and I get angry with myself for spending time on the wrong things, and then I just snap at people. Um, that's when it's hard for me to live at peace with people. But this community, if, it's, if you have a community that's uncommon, I think this kind of action they do is they renew this call to live at peace with people. They realize that the point, actually maybe even a community that believes in God or not, I haven't quite figured that one out, but... They understand this idea of living at peace with others and not just the people I like because if I could just pick the people to be at peace with, I could do it really good. And if I could like tag people in and out, like, mm, yep, you're off my list now. Uh, I'm going to try and live in peace with these people. I think we do that. I try and do it in my own strength. 
But again, this call to an uncommon community is this call that, no, in order to live at peace with all kinds of people, we have to have a holiness. Because God calls us to think about how divided our world is right now. I mean, we need to be at peace with people who are fervent supporters of Black Lives Matter and people who say all lives matter. We need to be at peace with both of those people. We need to be at peace with people who believe and support police officers and at peace with people who are actually fearful of police officers. We need to be at peace with people who vote Democrat and people that vote Republican. We need, I know I'm meddling, we need to be at peace with people who we disagree with and people we'd rather not see. And the only way I can do this is if we are holy. See, to be holy, though, doesn't mean to be holier than thou. And it certainly doesn't mean to be perfect. When God first talks about holiness, he talks about it as the seventh day. God creates these days in Genesis, and on the seventh day, he set that one apart. He did no work, and that's what made it holy. By taking these days that are filled with different things, but essentially are all the same, and setting it apart, that's what makes it holy. And God would fall into this definition because God is divinely set apart. He's totally different than us. He lives in ways that we can't live. He thinks in ways that we can't think. He is divinely other, and that's what makes him holy. First uh, Timothy 6 says that God is the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see. That is holy. And the only way I can be holy is if God makes me holy. I think the only way we can be holy is if God makes us holy. God has to be the one to set us apart. And I believe he does that through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Jesus made a way to make us restored with God, set apart as holy. See, that's the grace of God. It's not a grace that I can earn, but it's absolutely a grace I can miss. The text says that, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, to, that no one misses the grace of God. It must mean that it's easy to miss. So, I'll play. If you, if you zoned out for a second, good, great to have you back. It's all right, it happens. When is it easy for you to miss the grace of God? Yeah, absolutely. When you're feeling sorry for yourself, when I'm too busy, when I'm tired. Oh, when pride steps in, when you want the credit. Good.
when I think it's too hard to achieve and I have this feeling I have to do it on my own strength. And I think it's something I have to earn. It's easy to miss. And the text says, see to it that no one misses and that no bitterness grows like a weed and wrecks the garden of your soul. It uses the word defiled, which is this like fancy word that I think we put attached meaning to if we've been in the church a long time. Defile means simply to stain or pollute or corrupt. It would be like spiking the punch at a junior high dance or a senior high dance, I guess. But defile can simply mean to contaminate, and, and it often u- is used to describe sin. Sin just means to miss the mark with God. It, it cuts us off from peace with God. Defiling cuts us off from the peace with God, but bitterness keeps us cut off from God's peace and easily contaminates others. It's like when I hear someone talk about how God owes them a pain-free life, or, or maybe they don't say it that way, they just are shocked whenever pain comes in their life, and they, they fight it bitterly, and they resent any for, form of this hardship. But I don't read anywhere that God gives us this guarantee that life will be comfortable. I know that, that we do on mattresses, so I'm giving a little joke for levity. You know, when you go by the CERTA or the sleep number. But that's the only place that we are guaranteed comfort. Job, this sage from the Old Testament, said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, and the Lord take away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That's what God offers us. And yet somehow in his wisdom... He gives us peace, he shares his grace, and he does it with justice. See, I need a kind of community that receives this grace from God because when I'm feeling bitter or when I'm feeling angry or when I'm feeling busy, I'm not going to run to peace, but I need God's grace to run to me. And an uncommon community, a kind of community that you and I need is one that receives God's grace and then shares it with us because it's easy to miss. Think about the times that you've been angry or that you've been bitter or you've been resentful or the times, you know, the text is going to take this sharp turn or we think it's this sharp turn to talk about sexual immorality and be like, oh, wow, that's just way worse than someone just, you know, trading a bowl of soup, because that's what Esau did. But actually, no. When we miss peace and when we miss grace, we want to go hide. Or we do something that makes us feel shame. And if you've ever tried to come into the church, whatever church, and admit your faults or your bitterness or your resentment or your sin and received shame, never do it again. But if you have an uncommon community, one that shares and receives God's grace, doesn't mean that truth and consequences won't happen, but the first thing you get is God's grace. Then you know what it's like to come into the light, to be seen, to be valued, 
to be accepted and to work through your struggle. That's what we need to be. That's what the world needs. It's peace, but it's also this grace. We need to be a community that receives God's grace and passes it along to others. God says that his grace is always available to help us in times of need. What if that was our thought? What if the community that you had, what if this community was a community that was always available to help you in your time of need? That even if they couldn't, they could stand alongside you and and share how God's grace can be there in a time of need. See, if you've lived in a hole for the last two months, you've, uh, there have been media, music, and movie industry moguls left and right that have been accused or admitted to sexual harassment. Now, some people's response right away is good because this has to come out. It's been happening for so long. Some people's response has been, well, those are dirty, rotten scoundrels. They're getting what they deserve. But I don't know if you noticed this, if you've been following this. In just the last little bit, there have been people that have now changed their tune and like, oh, well, I can't believe that person. Really? No. Maybe it's the woman. It's usually a woman. Maybe it's this person. Maybe they're just trying to accuse them. Maybe they're trying to get in the spotlight or make some money. I can't believe that whoever would do this. They seem like a good person. And I'm not here to debate whether those people are good or not good. What I, what I really think the writer is saying about this guy named Esau, if you don't know him, uh, if one of Esau's neighbors was being interviewed, they would probably say something like this. Tell me about Esau. Oh, Esau, good guy, great hunter, loves his dad. Yeah, you know, he's, he's actually, he seems to get along with the rest of his family, uh, he does what he's supposed to do. He helps other people out occasionally. Like when I ask him to help me move a dresser down or up the stairs, he does so. Yeah, I would say he's a good neighbor. Is he godly? Hmm. Well, I don't think Esau's against God. I've actually never really heard him talk about God or his relationship with God or about spiritual things or what it means to be a blessing to others, this thing that you're talking about, I'm not sure about that. Esau would be a good neighbor. He's just not interested in the things of God. And and in the ancient world, if you were the firstborn, usually son, then you had this blessing and privilege that you were called to. It wasn't just that you got a double inheritance of the stuff, you got a double inheritance to take care of the brothers and sisters and parents and grandparents. It was a privilege and a responsibility. And it was something that went way more than just the physical needs. It was a spiritual act and a blessing to the rest of the family and the people beyond that family. And what Esau did is he decided in a moment that eating a bowl of stew because he was really, really hungry was worth more than this sacred privilege of being a blessing to the world. Not an all play, but something I'd like you to think about is what are you hungry for?
It doesn't have to be food. You might be desperately hungry for the praise of other people. You might be hungry for pleasure or power. Sex is rarely about pleasure when it goes into harassment. You might be hungry for some thing that you think will, give, will fill the hole in your heart. But I think what Jesus would say is, is, is what you're trying to fill your body with really satisfying your soul. He wouldn't say it in a shaming way. He would just invite us to consider what does it mean to be a spiritual person who joins with Jesus to restore the world. That's what he invites us to. It's a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. And Esau is just singled out as this dramatic example of someone who takes that privilege and decides that it's not worth it. And later, when he gets really sad and cries over the consequences and the choice, he, he can't change it. And he doesn't repent of it. See, we need to be a, a community that repents, that turns away from whatever we're running towards and turns towards God. And if we're people who are sharing peace with people and we're receiving and sharing grace with people, then when someone repents, we actually rejoice. We get happy. There's no shame in turning from this than opening our eyes and seeing, hey, we need to repent of this. We need to go in this way. There's actually joy in that. And see, Advent is this time where we can anticipate and celebrate Christ with us. And it's easy to get caught up in the Christmas cheer or focus on the shopping or the eating or the pleasing our relatives, but the reality is many of these ancient Christmas carols, they didn't just talk about when Jesus would come they talked about when he would come again. And there's often just this little but strong theme of judgment, of evaluation, of are we living in accord with this sacred privilege? And anyone can have it. You don't have to have a status. You don't have to be from the right family. You don't have to do anything to achieve it. It's a gift. See, if you are still hurting or fighting something, Right now, in your life, God sees you. He loves you. You have value. That's an unconditional gift that he gives. And through God's grace, he calls us into this relationship to be part of this community that can renew the call to peace, that can receive God's grace and share it with others, that can repent of the things where we're going wrong and turn ourselves towards God we can all be a part of that. And the last call is just to remain with God, present in his spirit and power. That's what this whole call to the mountains is. Is this, you haven't come to this mountain of fear. You've come to this mountain where God's peace and his presence is with you for all the time. I'm not going to take time to read all that because I just want us to sit in this moment of where are we at with our community? What do we see as community? 
And do we want to be part of an uncommon community? One that can truly transform the world and ourselves in the process. So as the band comes up, would you just take a moment and would you invite God's spirit to speak with you? Maybe actual words will come. Maybe a feeling will come. Maybe you'll recall something from the, the words that I said or the scripture that we read that will prompt you in a direction. That could be God's spirit. Doesn't matter how many times you've messed up, you are not alone. God sees you and he loves you. It's way too easy to miss the grace of God and the miracle of him with us. Let's not miss this this Christmas. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for this season. God, I pray that we would enter the story and the season of God with us, this Advent season. As we approach Christmas, God, let us not get caught up in the stuff that really doesn't matter for eternity. Help us to see the people in front of us, to offer peace no matter who they are. And God, help us to be a part of an uncommon community. I pray that restoration would be this kind of community. God, would you speak to us about how you see us and where we're at? Amen.